There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek, and you've tuned into this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. As always, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us again. Our guest this week is Dr. Dawson Church. Dawson is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit. The Gene in Your Genes was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. Mind to Matter, the astonishing science of how your brain creates material reality, showed that the brain creates much of what we think of as objective reality. Bliss Brain, the neuroscience of remodeling your brain for resilience, creativity, and joy, demonstrates that peak mental stress rapidly remodeled the brain for happiness. Dr. Church did his undergraduate and graduate work at Baylor University and obtained his doctorate at Hollows University under Harvard-trained neurosurgeon Norm Shealy, who founded the American Holistic Medical Association. Dr. Church has conducted dozens of clinical trials and founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to study and implement promising evidence-based psychological and medical techniques. Its largest program, the Veteran Stress Project, has offered free treatment to more than 20,000 veterans with post-traumatic stress over the past decade. Dr. Church, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Chris, what a joy to be here. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for your time. And I've got to tell you, that might be the longest introduction I've done in two and a half years. So <laughs> hats off to you and all your accomplishments. Uh, so let's start the 30,000 foot level. What is energy psychology? Energy psychology is based on the idea that you can affect psychological conditions like anxiety, depression, traumatic stress, phobias, energetically, especially by changing the body's energy flows. And we see this show up in energy measurement devices like MRIs and EEGs. When you look at somebody who's stressed, when you look at somebody who's anxious, angry, overwhelmed, fearful, the middle part of their brain, the limbic system, is highly lit up on an EEG. And of course, they have their, 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 their heart is pounding. They have high levels of, of neurochemicals like cortisol and adrenaline. And so all these physiological changes are happening in their bodies as well as their brains. With energy psychology, we found that changing energy flows in their body, and these are really simple techniques. For example, one of them is, is based on acupressure. So it's just the stimulation of acupuncture points using your fingertips. These very, very rapidly calm the body, and you literally see the emotional centers of the brain shut down and people feel calm. So energy psychology is a suite of techniques that people can learn that doctors, psychotherapists, nurses, various kinds of healthcare professionals, even life coaches are learning in huge numbers that very rapidly reduce stress. And what is EFT? EFT is the most popular form of energy psychology. And there are, we estimate there are about 40 million people worldwide um, who are using EFT. We did a project this last year. It was funny, Chris. We, we, you know, we so focused on English language stuff and we're so embedded in our own culture. We, we often don't realize that, you know, like one example is the healthcare system in the US. We, we have our healthcare costs to double those in other countries. And we keep on trying to tweak the system, but just like look north, just cross the border to Canada and you'll find people getting better care, better outcomes for half the cost. So what's going on there? And so we, we tend to get culturally centric. And so same thing with energy psychology. So we have a database. We know there are about 400 energy psychology studies and there are about um, 100 uh, EFT studies. Well, we looked around and found that there were another 100 studies done in 
countries other than than the US. And so it's really spreading really rapidly. So it's, it stands for emotional freedom techniques or, uh, or often called tapping, because rather than acupuncture using needles, people just tap on acupuncture points. And so again, when we have people in an MRI or an EEG, and we have them say, recall a traumatic event. Like I, I was working with one, one veteran and um, he was talking about his four tours of duty in Iraq. He was really stressed. And someone walked into the studio where we were talking and did this. Crackled the water bottle. And this guy was ready to dive under the table. And his, again, his stress level shot way up. His heart was pounding. He went into a full fledged stress response because that to him reminded him of small arms fire in Iraq. So we see that people, when they're stressed, have these big surges in these neurochemicals, their brain function shifts. When they tap, it's absolutely it's spooky and it's absolutely amazing to watch people do this. I, I've been doing EFT for more than 25 years and you just watch people and they, those, all of those fears just collapse. This young man, I tap with him on some of the specific events that happened in Iraq and they were pretty gruesome. I won't, I won't describe them here because I would re-traumatize half the audience, but um, pretty horrible stuff. We tapped, and then what you see is the heart rate go down. You, We know from research that people's cortisol levels plunge quickly. Their adrenaline levels go down. Their fight or flight response shifts. And after that, after I'd done tapping with him for about 30 minutes, he could remember all of these events that happened in Iraq. He could also hear someone do this, and he was down to a zero in terms of emotional triggering. So EFT is this really quick, simple stress reduction technique. We apply it to events. We change the energy around it with tapping. And then people, that breaks the association between the event and going into fight or flight. It's amazing how little, I'll say, events or little actions like that, like the cracking of a water bottle, triggers such a huge emotional situation for things. And so this is fascinating to me. Does mindfulness fall into the category of emotional freedom technique or is it complementary practice? It's complementary practice. And in my book, Mind to Matter, I list about 30 of these techniques. There are lots of them. Uh, mindfulness is one. And there are lots of, lots of ways of being mindful. One of the most accessible for people is time in nature. And time in nature can help you enter that state of, of, of being aware, conscious of being conscious of, of the presence of something larger than yourself. And so time and nature also has been shown to have epigenetic effects. My first big hit of the book, The Genie in Your Genes, is all about epigenetics and how even things like changing your attitude, changing your beliefs, becoming positive rather than negative, is shifting genes in your body. In one study, the researchers looked at gene expression before and after one hour of EFT, and they found that after an hour of EFT, 72 genes changed expression. So uh, various of these, these, these relaxation techniques change gene expression. Mindfulness changes gene expression. Deep meditation changes gene expression. Taking a walk in the forest next to the stream, to walking, running on the beach, changes gene expression in, in a positive way. And it's amazing. You watch genes, like some of the genes that, that, that change expression are ones that um, help build signaling circuits in the memory and learning centers of the brain. You get smarter if you shift your gene expression in that way. Some of the genes that were found in that, e in that EFT study were ones that suppress cancer. Others were ones that improve fertility. 
And so there are all kinds of uh, positive effects from using things like mindfulness, time and nature, EFT, energy psychology, all of these kinds of, of ways. And the cool thing is that they're self-help. There are no drugs, no, there are surgeries involved. You don't need expensive equipment. Just go take a walk in the park, take off your feet, ground yourself, and just that alone can, can affect you. So we don't, we don't specify that you do certain things. We just say, try them all. Try out a whole bunch of different things, stuff, and then use the ones that mesh with your lifestyle. You may be a busy single mom. You don't have time to meditate for an hour in the morning, but just maybe take that time during the day to do some breath work or do some tapping, do some EFT, which only takes five minutes or so. So find the ones that work for your lifestyle. You know, it's amazing to say just find five or 10 minutes. And to your point, in today's busy, hectic world, certainly in the post-pandemic where we're trying to get back to you know, pre-2020 rituals, I'll call it, you just don't find yourself with the five to two minutes, five to 10 minutes a day. But I've had so many people like yourself on here saying, you've got to do it just for your, your, your own personal well-being. And so that's what we really try and get that message across here to our listeners. And is it fair to hey, say- Andrew, that, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you yeah, one sure. thing about people who say they don't have time. So um, I've, I've heard this excuse for many, many years, and I've had that excuse myself for a long time. Why don't I meditate? Don't have time to meditate. So what I've done in revenge- I did some revenge research. <laughs> I don't hear it anymore. So, I, so how can I tell people? How do you? So we, we do data. I mean, in 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 science, you just gather data, and so we we've been gathering data on anxiety, depression, PTSD for you know for decades now. We know that EFT and other energy psychology techniques will reduce your stress level, and that we know that your anxiety and depression will go down. But we then began to look at. How about ha happiness? How about flow states? And we're finding now the newest generation of research that it improves those. But then we have done some research, not published yet. It's, it'll be published later this year. But we looked at workplace productivity. How many problems a day can you solve? How good are your interpersonal relationships? What's your level of burnout at work? So we began to look at workplace productivity, and we found that people who are entering these states of some of getting getting over themselves, something a connection with something uh, larger than yourself. It's called relational spirituality. They're meditating. They're tapping. They're walking in nature. They're they're becoming mindful. They're doing all of these techniques. We looked at what happens to your productivity at work. And in the very first study we're publishing in a peer-reviewed journal, it went up in one of our courses between day one and day 30, your productivity went up 20%. So you had 20% greater improvement, not in your just your well-being, but the stuff you're getting done down here. So if you think you, need, you, know, you don't have time to do it, you don't have time not to do it, it's going to improve your productivity, and at least by this first batch of data shows, 20% in a month. Well, yeah, it's interesting you talk about increasing your productivity. There was an article a couple of days ago uh, in the Wall Street Journal talking about how in the, the post-pandemic world, the mental health, uh, I'll say, you know, crisis that we're in now, uh, yes. not, not only just nationally, but, but internationally, the billions of dollars that's costing in worker productivity. And so, Having guests like yourself on talk about these ways to, to take care of yourself and you know to, to make yourself better, feel better mentally, physically, to your point, is just going to increase productivity across the board in your personal yeah. life and your professional life. And so, so again, thank you for being here. Is it fair to say that the realm of EFT is the cornerstone of your research and treatment methods, or is EFT a part of a larger foundation? It's part of a larger foundation, and we recommend two things. I do it myself every day. 
I recommend meditation in the morning because meditation provides a baseline of well-being. And so you meditate in the morning, you feel better. But then just for example, um, after my meditation, I had breakfast this morning and then went to a meeting. And then on the, in the meeting, there were some stressful events going on. So I did a little bit of EFT. So what you do is you return yourself to the baseline of tapping and you need something that's portable and quick. EFT takes about two minutes to do during the day. So that will quickly return you to that baseline. If you don't have that, things will happen. You'll get a phone upsetting phone call. You'll get a, a snarky email from a colleague. You'll you'll make the mistake of reading the news. <laughs> Big mistake. I, I have two tabs open. I I always have Google News open and I have positive.news next to it. And I never read the real, you know, the regular news without reading some positive stories. There are so many positive stories as well. So, so you want to have this, this have things that both set you up for that baseline of well-being. You wake up in the morning and it's important to meditate in the morning. I've got a lot of online courses and, and all of them I say, meditate first thing in the morning, because when you're drifting out of sleep into wakefulness, your brain's very receptive. And it has to do with brain waves like very slow brain waves of sleep, delta, theta, and alpha. When you're in that state in the morning, it's easier to get back into that deep state, that alert and relaxed with meditation. So you meditate as your baseline practice. Then you need stuff to help you get centered again after you get upset during the day. And that's where EFT is just so quick, so so efficient. It brings you back to that baseline of well-being. So again, there are tons of other things you can do and I recommend, like I'll go out in nature every day, I'll do some breath work, I may do some Qigong, I do stretching and yoga. There are lots of other things you can do that do something in the morning to predispose you for a good day. That's going to frame your experience. Then have something else you do, whether it's time in nature or tapping during the day to bring you back to that well-being when the inevitable stuff happens and you get knocked off your, your feeling of well-being. You've written about and supervised EFT programs for weight loss, post-traumatic stress, fatigue, back pain, and more. Is the principle and practice the same with each of those issues or the techniques applied differently? That's a very perceptive question, Chris. And um, why does EFT work for so many things? When I, like when I heard people talk about it was working for PTSD, it's working for sports performance, it's working for anxiety, depression, weight loss. I was very skeptical when I heard that because usually in, in, in medicine, you have targeted therapies for certain conditions. You diagnose and then you treat based on the diagnosis. So how come EFT was working for all of these things? And the answer is that all of them have a component of stress. When we did a randomized controlled trial of women who were obese and having big emotional responses to food, so we would show them images of chocolate cake and pasta and chips and all the stuff that all, the, all that stuff we know we shouldn't eat, <laughs> but we do anyway, including me. And so we would show them images of the stuff. And what we, what we found when we had them inside an MRI and we're flashing images of these uh, foods while they were getting a brain scan is their emotional centers were highly aroused. So they were perceiving these foods as love either love or a mixture of love and fear. I mean, their emotional systems were going, going crazy when they were seeing pictures of food. So um, there's, it isn't just food. And when we're trying to do weight loss and we're trying to control our, our cravings, 
mentally or by arguing with ourselves not to eat that thing, that mental approach rarely works. You need an emotional approach because people are projecting their emotions into the food. They, you know, like one, one woman that I worked with, she um, she had this craving for cinnamon rolls. And she was, we were doing this in a group, group class and she was describing, you know, the gooey, white stuff on top of the cinnamon roll and then the warmth of the cinnamon roll that you pick up the cinnamon roll squishy and I mean she had all of us like salivating, salivating oh, absolutely of course i am now oh <laughs> uh, yeah i know uh, and then and then she talked about her grandmother and how her grandmother was the one person who loved her in her, her early life, she felt love from her grandmother. And she'd go there on Sundays and her grandmother would make cinnamon rolls. And so she's now her grandmother's been dead for 40 years, but she's still eating cinnamon rolls because she's now projecting the love into the food. And so that's what, what people do. And that, that's why it works for weight loss and cravings. So there's an element of emotional arousal, of stress in all of these things. And you're 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 playing golf and you're you're worried about your performance, or you're giving a speech, you're worried about performance anxiety, or you're going for surgery, you're worried about not healing, or uh, you're, you have a chronic disease, you're, you have anxiety about that. So EFT works on the stress component of what we've got going, going for us. It does not work equally well on everything. Some things are highly genetic. There are some diseases that are just genetic. There's some structural things about your body. Like, you know, like I'm six foot four, I'll never be five foot two, I'll never be seven foot one, I can do EFT all I want. That's just what my genes have in store for me. So there are things like that that you, you know, EFT is going to have a minimal impact on. Uh, but wherever there's stress, a stress component to your problem, EFT is effective for that. That's why EFT works with so many things like relationships. You know, you, you're about to say something mean to your kid and you just tap, then you find all of that emotion starts to drain away. The emotional limbic system calms down in the brain. You take a deep breath and you, you feel compassion instead. So that's where, why it's so handy for a lot of different issues. In Mind to Matter, which was published in 2018, you synthesized hundreds of studies in the fields of biology, physics, and psychology to show how the energy fields of our brains are literally creating reality. That's fascinating to me. How does the brain's energy create reality? You know, I'll give you an example because I, I wrote Mind to Matter right before the pandemic, and I was actually doing a lot of podcasts on Mind to Matter after the pandemic. And so um, there is a really thriving restaurant right near me, and I go buy ribs there sometimes, and they just are superb. They have fantastic ribs, and they make wonderful chicken, and it's just, they're just like known. People just line up there. But um, during the pandemic, the the dining rooms were all closed and so go to the restaurant and dining rooms closed and no ribs and i remember walking down the main street in petaluma california where i was living back then and i saw a lot of obviously all the restaurants were closed and there was one called murphy's pub and there was a sign on the door cardboard handwritten sign saying petaluma we love you it's been a great 35 years but we're not reopening. This is it. Uh, we're, we're we're closed for good. So Murphy's Pub was closed. I looked into the windows. All the all the chairs were on the tables and went out of business. Um, the ribs place. I went there after. So the first few weeks, my wife and I were cooking alone, eating our own cooking, and then you get really tired of it. <laughs> so we, we got to get the roast ribs. So <laughs> we, we 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 phoned the ribs place, and it turned out they were serving. We we're making ribs in the back room. 
in the kitchen, but they were they were serving them in a safe way from a table in front of the the rib plate. So we went there, and we uh, we bought our ribs. And I said I said to the the owner who happened to be be serving, I said, well, you know, are, are you doing okay? She said, yeah, you know, we're doing okay. People are coming here and they're they're buying ribs, and I'm here outside the restaurant on the on the on the porch, covered porch, and people place their orders by phone or by text or by email, and then they come get their ribs. And so we're doing okay. Without our, even though our dining rooms closed, we're doing okay. Now that business, I went back there a while back. They have both an open dining room. They have both their old restaurant business and a huge new takeout business that they set up during the pandemic. So that's an example of how confronted with exactly the same problem. I've been shut down by the pandemic. My dining room's closed. Murphy's Pub posts a cardboard notice on the door and goes out of business. This other ribs place, now their business has grown dramatically as a result. And I, there's a very beautiful uh, 19th century poem that I often quote and think of myself, just two lines. It says, two men look out through the same bars. One sees mud and one seeing stars. And you see this with, with, with situations that are people confronted with death, divorce, medical illness, uh, financial disaster. One person will have an explanatory framework. They will process the information in their minds in a way that results in post-traumatic growth. And the other will just collapse and, and go the other, the other direction. So it's you know, things happen to all of us. The pandemic happened to all of us. Things like illness happen to all of us. Aging happens to everyone. No matter how wonderful a person you are, you will your body will age. But how do you how do you process that in your in your 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 your, your mind? What what do you, what are the choices you're making? And there are so many examples of people who alter their reality dramatically. I mean, one person now is making a huge amount of money in those restaurants. The other one is out of business. So. Our minds, and then that even the way our brains perceive things, there are a lot of interesting visual studies showing that literally what we see, we'll see those those patterns where you look at a pattern and is it a person's face? Is it a uh, is it a vase? And we know that our perceptions are are actually helping create our reality. And so it's not like we're, we're magically we're we're making things happen with our minds or brains, but over time, it. It completely shapes our lives as to what's going on with the filters through which we're processing information. How does our brain energy influence our health and well-being? We are we have a superpower to make molecules. We are literally creating molecules every day. I think a negative thought, I make cortisol. Just like that. There are things called immediate early genes. Our stress genes turn on in two or three seconds. So I can have one negative thought and in two or three seconds start to flood my body with adrenaline and cortisol. So um, we are literally creating molecules with our, our minds. So our, we're creating, creating our worlds outside of ourselves, we're creating our, our, our worlds inside of ourselves, and it's all based on our stress levels. If we're stressed, if we have a negative worldview, then that starts to change our bodies. Over time, think those negative thoughts over and over and over again. There was a, a really amazing study done in 2000 on Alzheimer's patients. And they looked, they were looking at their brains and measuring the buildup of plaque 
And plaques like kind of like bubble gum. It stops the uh, signals from going through your brain. So you can deal with a little bit of it, but if you have too much plaque, you stop neural signaling. Eventually, you get cognitive decline, perhaps Alzheimer's. And they were build, studying the buildup of Alzheimer's plaques in the, in the brains of people over a period of years. And they found that when they studied Alzheimer's in that way and looked at lifestyle, diet, how, what what pe people ate, quality of water, quality of relationships, all these things affect the buildup of plaques in your brain. Genetics has a strong effect on it as well. But the number one influence on how much beta amyloid and tau plaque built up in the brain was negative thinking. People who had negative thinking had more Alzheimer's plaques. People who had the most negative thinking had the most Alzheimer's plaques. So literally, we are triggering the buildup of plaque in our brain purely by thought alone, extrapolate that, that out to 10, 20, 30, 50 years. If you look at large-scale epidemiological studies, we find that people who are negative, who are pessimistic, have repetitive negative thinking, they die on average 10 years earlier than people who are happy and positive. So you really want to just take take care, take charge of this thing inside your head. Don't think random thoughts. Don't think ran, Don't think negative thoughts. Tap, meditate, find a relationship with your higher power, whatever you can see that to be, and you'll find that your body is then having these dramatic molecular changes as a result. As I think about brain energy, I think about an engine. And that makes me think about the fuel that makes it run. You talked before about you know, the things we should or should not eat. How do we provide our brain with the right fuel in the form of nutrition to create the right kind of brain energy? Yeah, and th this is an, uh, uh, an easy thing to make a mistake about. So people get really enthusiastic. In fact, we warn our practitioners about this. We say, oh, you're doing, you're doing EFT, your anxiety, your depression is going away, you feel wonderful. Don't forget to go to the doctor. <laughs> Don't forget to go to the nutritionist. Don't forget to go to the gym. Don't forget all those things because the, the taking care of ourselves energetically is really important. Like if I have a, a negative interaction with somebody, I feel like there, there are people sometimes where I, I, I interact with them and I feel energetically off balance after that. Go do some qigong, do, do some tapping, restore my energy. But if I were just doing that and neglecting things like exercise and diet, I would only be getting part of the well-being picture right. So I, I for example, my personal routine is I love superfoods. And there's a lot of um, information out now about what superfoods are, what they do for you. And so this morning, I had a superfood smoothie that my wife made, and that, that makes me feel really, really good. Uh, supplements, you can go crazy on supplements. A lot of things that you, 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 you need, you get from high-quality food. If you're getting high-quality food, you don't need a ton of supplements, but you may need some. So I have supplements, and I review those supplements every once in a while, and then I adjust them as new science comes out. So definitely support yourself with high-quality food. High quality water, just drink clean water. Don't drink water that has toxins and pollutants in it. And then just find the supplements that really, really work for you and make your body sing. And what you'll find after a while is you just start to be feel vibrantly healthy. Now you're taking care of your energy with energy psychology. You're taking care of your physiology and your nutrition. You're then getting the best of all of these worlds. You're also getting proper medical care. Like I have a great holistic doctor and he'll prescribe something if I need, if I need that. So uh, if you have a combination of all these things, the quality of life you enjoy goes way up. But start with energy, start with thought, start with things you can control in that way add in all those other factors, and you can have a dramatically better life than you otherwise would have. 
You write in Mind and Matter about the law of attraction. What is the law of attraction and how does it work? The law of attraction is the idea that our thoughts create reality. The Buddha said that 2,000 years ago. He said, as you think, so you are. Uh, we've had, you know, James Allen wrote the book, As a Man Thinketh, in the late 1800s. And we've had all these people from every religion. Lao Tzu said that. Um, Gandhi said that. Martin Luther King said that. All these people tell us that your thoughts create your reality. And so that's the, the Alzheimer's study is one example. Negative thinking is literally creating a negative reality in, in our bodies. And so the law of attraction is the idea that your thoughts create your reality. Where it's misinterpreted is to think that we can magically create things. Can I magically create a million dollars in my bank account tomorrow by thinking about it today? I've tried that. <laughs> I'm trying it now. <laughs> it didn't work. So, uh, uh, so, so it's not magical thinking. It's just consistent habits uh, of thought. Also, my book is called Mind to Matter, not Mind Over Matter. There's a kind of thinking that says, I'm going to make this thing happen. I want Susie to love me. I want to be the top realtor in my uh, in my region. I want this amount of money. I want my body to do this. People force it. And Mind to Matter talks about aligning ourselves in meditation with the awareness of the universe. When we let go of our little local limited vision and reality, we merge with what I call in the book non-local reality. And there's so much evidence that there are non-local information fields out there, information fields throughout the cosmos. So you attune to the that, that consciousness that is the universe. And again, there's a whole chapter on the four forces of physics and how consciousness underlies all four of those those uh, those forces of physics, then you are mind in tune, your local mind in tune with non-local mind, and suddenly your whole life is full of synchronicity, things flow, it's much easier, and all kinds of things then shift around you based on that connection you have with that non-local reality. We've been talking to Dr. Dawson Church, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. If you're struggling to understand your self-worth or deal with mental health challenges, you will want to tune into Your Life Matters Today with Dr. Cliff Robertson. Dr. Cliff and his guests will help you understand and work toward what you need to build your best life. Your Life Matters Today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com 
listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. My guest today is Dr. and award-winning author, Dawson Church. Dr. Church has written three best-selling books, The Genie in Your Genes, Mind to Matter, and Bliss Brain. We've been talking about the law of attraction. Dr. Church, what attracted you to this field of research and what keeps you interested in it and connected to it? Science is just fascinating. And whenever I'm faced with a question, I go read the research and see what it tells me. And there are always opinions about how things are. And so like in, in Bliss Brain, I, I came to it fairly naive and asked questions like, well, how much meditation do you need to be effective? Is it 20 minutes? Is it an hour? Like different schools say, oh, well, in my school of meditation, you only need five minutes a day. And so what does the research show about, show about five minutes a day? How, what's, what's, in medicine, it's called the minimum dose. So I just love science and the, the answers it gives me to these big questions. Like um, I was asking myself, okay, how can mind affect material reality outside of the body? Not cortisol, not stress hormones, not neurons. How do we affect things out there? And you read the research into how um, human consciousness affects all four of the fundamental forces in physics. And there are four of them, gravity, the strong nuclear force that keeps atomic particles bound in, in an atom, the weak nuclear force, which is nuclear radiation like uranium and plutonium and all these EMs, and they, they emit these, these particles, that's the weak nuclear force. And the, the fourth one is electromagnetism. And there's evidence, and some of it's amazing evidence showing that our minds, our consciousness, our intention, our awareness can affect all four of the fundamental forces in physics, gravity, electromagnetism, the strong and the weak nuclear force. I mean, there's one, like, like I mean, the, the, the weak nuclear force is so constant that we base atomic clocks on it for science. Some of those atomic clocks don't go, don't deviate more than a second in three million years. They're that accurate. But there are studies showing that certain Qigong masters can take those atomic elements, they can um, have intentions toward them, they can use Qigong, and they can intend to speed up the rate of radioactive decay, and it speeds up. Then they're told to slow it down, and they slow it down. Then they move the Qigong master into the next room and say, well, can you do this from 20 feet away? And sure enough, he can slow it down or speed it up. Then they move him a thousand miles away and he can do the same thing. So, you know, science just gives you all these fascinating answers. And, and I, I love going down these rabbit holes and reading the research. And then they tell you, they like that question about how much meditation do you need? It's really relevant. You, you want to make sure you're getting an, an, enough of it to, to be doing some good. So also what kinds of meditation are more effective? There's this marketplace. It's like going to a, a bazaar where there are 10,000 stalls and, and all these forms of meditation and all these claims being made for them. 
So what does science tell us? How long a meditation is effective? What kind of meditation is effective and most effective? And there's an, an answer to that. And the answer to that one is compassion. That when we look at studies of compassion meditation and what it's doing to the brain and the speed at which it's generating positive neuroplasticity, it is more effective than other forms of meditation. And I'm not trying to, you know, again, uh, advocate one form of meditation or or I'm not trying to um, dissuade you from other forms of meditation, but I'm just saying this is what science tells us. And so we don't need to argue about it or be subjective about it. Those subjective opinions are interesting to me. And then I go look at the science and the science is usually really clear. If it's not clear, we do another experiment and get clearer. So, uh, so I, I just love looking at these things. And, uh, and I, I predict as well, Chris, the science we're gonna see in the next probably two decades, like the stuff I'm talking about with my, my, my buddies in science right now, it's stuff that won't hit the popular press till around 2040. Uh, we're doing experiments now. We know stuff is true that the public isn't going to realize is true for about 20 more years. Um, and then the science then will have advanced further. We're doing some of that advanced science now. And we are showing it's possible to reshape the anatomy of your brain. I just had one study published in a major neuroscience peer-reviewed journal, and it showed people changing the anatomy of their brain in 28 days. I mean, changing brain anatomy in 28 days with a suffering part of the brain just quieting down, just dialing itself down, and the compassion part of the brain lit up like a Christmas tree. And it did not take people 10,000 hours, did not take a monastery. It did not take taking vows of poverty, chastity and obedience and sitting with the feet of a, of a spiritual master in a, an ashram for 10 years. Sorry, I, mean, I, I did all that stuff. I look back at it now, I thought, darn, if I'd only had this information for science, we didn't have neuroscience back 2000 years ago when the Buddha and Jesus and Shankara were developing these methods. We now can look through the lens of neuroscience and say, hey, this really works. This thing we thought we thought saffron robes were so important. Now it turns out you can wear any color you like. <laughs> you're talking about the research you're doing now that we'll see 10, 20, 25 years from now. As you're going through your research, and obviously to your point, you've made countless discoveries. What one or two discoveries most surprised or intrigued you? That one I just mentioned, that the brain is rewiring itself so fast. Like I showed those near, those scans that are being published in this, this journal to an experienced researcher, and he didn't know where they'd come from. He just looked at the scans and said, oh, well, I, I recognize this pattern. We have the part called the mid-prefrontal cortex shutting down and the insula, the compassion part, lighting up. He said he looked at these scans and said, yeah, I've seen this, this pattern before. It's pretty obvious. These are, these are Tibetan monks who've been meditating for, for over 10,000 hours. I said, actually, these are people who never did meditation before who've been meditating for 28 days. <laughs> so uh, that is profoundly surprising. And the implications are dawning on us now that our brains, certain parts of our brains, certain parts of our brains are very stable, don't rewire themselves very much. Other parts of the brains, they're boiling. I mean, the, 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 the time between creating something called a microtubule, which is like the scaffolding in your nerve cells. It's like the scaffolding, like the girders in a building. In nerve cells in certain parts of the brain, the microtubules, the, the actual structure, the skeleton of the building is being created and destroyed every 10 minutes. So our brains are on the boil in many ways. That is a, 
we we do not appreciate that. You think, and the 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 practical application here is, you think, oh, I'll think that negative thought. It doesn't matter if I have that, you know, twinge of regret, envy, or I'm mad at my dog. I mean, that negative thought repeated is building neural circuits in your brain. So you really want to clean up your act. You want to be impeccable with your mental activity. Don't let that negative thinking hang around one second longer than necessary. So that that's a big surprise. And I don't think even neuroscientists realize yet the importance of this. So I'm, I'm working now on a new set of, um, of um, exercises designed to build four circuits in the brain. And these are the ones that are part of what we call the we, we call this the enlightenment network. In my book, This Brain, I have a whole chapter on this. And I didn't coin the term. Another brilliant neuroscientist coined it. I didn't find these four circuits. Another brilliant neuroscientist found them. But I'm just doing my best to promote them because they are so important. And so the circuits are, one, emotional regulation. You have to learn to regulate your annoyance. If you can't just calm yourself down, your chances of a happy life are very, very small. So number one, there's a circuit that does that. It's a piece of tissue that runs from the cognitive centers of the brain, the executive centers into the emotional center and just calms it down. And these, these monks who've done 10,000 hours, that piece of neural tissue is huge. So you want to have a big piece of neural tissue calming emotions. Number two, these monks have superb attention circuits. The attention circuits lo- looks like a little um, b- a couple of bird wings on either side, it's like, like our eyebrows, but back in the brain. The, it's called the orbitofrontal cortex. And so that part of the brain is key to paying attention. These monks sit and look at that picture of Mary or Jesus or Kuan Yin, and they have absolute attention. So you develop the attention circuit, pay attention. The third circuit we need to dial down is the self-absorption circuit. I, I'm so self-absorbed. I went to my closet today and Chris, I thought, you know, Chris is interviewing me. I better take off this shabby looking <laughs> sweatshirt I'm wearing. Uh, what, what shirt would look I think I'll pick a red shirt for the interview. So, you know, who, who cares? I, I'm all thinking about what I had for breakfast and, and what my next task is in the day. That's self-obsession. And these monks and nuns, can dial that down and they lose themselves in oneness with the all it is. You want to have that circuit that dials that down and that's the self-obsession circuit. And the final circuit is compassion, dial it up. And so I'm now working on a series of exercises and developing these that systematically develop those four circuits and grow them, exercise them. You just It's like working out on, on exercise equipment, you, you work out these four circuits, they get bigger, they get better at signaling, and then you awaken this, this enlightenment circuit in the brain. It also has a secondary effect of having the suffering circuit go dark. So you're no longer suffering, you're just happy pretty much all the time, happiness becomes a new normal, and that becomes a new default in your brain. So I just, you know, we, we have no idea how of our potential, we have no idea how happy we can get how much control we have over our lives, emotions. We have so much control over our emotions. And by taking control of all of these circuits, developing them, you have a dramatically happier, happier life in some of the studies in this brain, like 7X, the, the amount of happiness brain waves we're seeing in people doing this is seven times the baseline. So wherever you think you, you're, you're, you're doing well now, you can literally, evidence shows you can be seven times that happy and bring that message to the world really excites me.
how did you apply the lessons gleaned from the gene in your genes to your own life? And how should the rest of us apply those lessons to improve our health and well-being? Remember, when I was writing The Gene in Your Genes in the early 2000s, 2003, 2005, I was reading then a lot of scientific studies about epigenetics, and I was thinking about what tweaks the brain, the mind, and, and, and genes. And I remember just running out of my study one day, waving a scientific paper over my head, because back then it was all papers, wasn't you know, a scientific paper, it was literally a piece of paper. And um, my son was had just come home from school. He was in, in high school back then. And I said, Lionel, if people knew this stuff, they would never, ever have another negative thought their entire lives. <laughs> so <clears throat> first for me, it was cleaning up negative thinking. And, and Chris, it's hard because our ancestors evolved only by thinking negatively. My ancestors evolved where they needed to look around them. Like I was, I go mountain biking, even in the even wet winter weather, when it's cold and rainy, I go mountain biking almost every day. And I remember like one one after a big storm, there are all these sticks lying lying in, in the path. I remember seeing the stick at one point and then realizing I got close, it was a snake. It wasn't a stick, it was a snake. So the ability of my ancestor to notice whether it's a stick or a snake meant the difference between life and death for them. And so my brain is acutely aware of the negative. It's called the brain's negativity bias. It is hardwired into billions of neurons and trillions of circuits in our brains. It is really hard to be a positive thinker because we have this tendency to want to find the negative stuff because that's how our ancestors survived. And so it was so hard for me to shift my negative thinking. It took me many, many years of meditation and practice to do that. But the cool thing is I mentioned building these circuits. You build them bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so eventually you've got a lot of neural mass in those and when you do you flip some mysterious day and you're just in bliss and that's why this book's called this brain and i wrote the book the year after my house burned down and i was almost killed in a wildfire I mean, literally i my wife and i that night i uh i we we woke up she woke up at 12 45 a.m shook me awake said something's wrong i looked at my alarm clock it was blinking 12 45 I looked outside, there was a glow on the horizon, walked outside, and there was this wildfire, one of the biggest wildfires ever, sweeping toward our, our house. And we literally just grabbed our stuff and ran out as 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 the as the trees were starting to explode around us in flames. It was just it was a nightmare. And so we lost everything. We lost the house, we lost our business, we lost all our money, we lost absolutely every everything we owned uh, in, in the wildfire. And yet, in the year after that. I was meditating as I always do. And even having lost everything, I was in bliss because my resilience circuits had been built big and strong in the years before that. So you want to build those resilience circuits. Don't wait till you have a disaster like a wildfire or a financial crash, build them beforehand, and then you find yourself fairly unconcerned by outer events. You aren't uncompassionate, you're highly compassionate. We look at the, the brain scans of these monks and when one of, the, one of the standard tests for the monks is we put them in an EEG, look at their brains, and then there's a, a, a sound they hear from a, a room next door of a child crying. 
And so this is designed to elicit a, a huge emotional response because when children are in pain, then every human being's brain lights up. And these monks have an even quicker response to that than average. So they, they feel compassion. They are not like Mr. Spock in Star Trek, feeling nothing. They still feel compassion. But then immediately the focus of their brain shifts to the executive centers. And they're now thinking about, how can I help? So the feeling things, and so you, you'll feel things still. I felt, I mean, I felt the loss of all my possessions and family heirlooms and the 22 people who died in the fire. And I mean, I, I was I was mourning and grieving as well. But you have this 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 basic neural wiring of resilience. So I apply these things in my life. And so after a while of using these techniques like EFT, like meditation, some of the other ones we mentioned as well, then you start to have a very different brain. You've literally reshaped your brain. And all kinds of things happen downstream from that. Greater creativity, greater productivity, greater joy, much greater joy. I mean, joy is so enormous. Joy is so overwhelming. Like the other day, I I was just walking through the forest and I, I was just walking through the woods and I was looking around me and giving thanks for my breath and for the ability to take a step. There are millions of people in the world who, who can't walk, who have problems walking, you know, who can't breathe, have COPD. I forget how many million, I think it's like 32 million people in the world have breathing trouble. I just began to think about how I can breathe and how I can walk. I began to weep with joy and gratitude. So it didn't take getting a new Porsche to make me weep with gratitude or getting a better house. And I'm still driving the old Jaguar I had in 2007. I mean, you just don't care about all that stuff. What you do care about is this extraordinary joy you start to experience every day. And you seriously want that. I mean, you, you are motivated for that. Nothing else seems very important to you. And you do still, I mean, I give to charity. I'm focused on the veteran stress solution where we get get PTSD treatment free to veterans. I, I, I'm, I'm focused on homelessness issues in, in my local area. You still are doing stuff in the outside world, but you are you are so caught up in this experience of bliss, which is also highly addictive because um, people who begin doing, like one woman who read Bliss Brain, she said, you know, I, I love the meditations there. I'm going to do them every single day for 30 days straight. And so I said to her, she was at a workshop I taught live, and I said, well, um, what day are you on right now? She said, I'm on day 147 of 30, because you just get addicted to feeling that good. You don't want to go feel shitty again, or depressed, or miserable. Been there, done that. (laughs) (laughs) You want to live in bliss, and you can. So for those of us who don't meditate, or do EFT, or things like that, how quickly can we remodel our brain for joy? Well, that uh, randomized controlled trial I mentioned that I did showed they were using a track of mine. I, I have this very simple body-based technique where you just breathe a certain rhythm, you relax certain muscles, you do things with your body, and you automatically drop into this very relaxed but alert state. It's called eco-meditation, eco Meditation. It's just free at ecomeditation.com. Anyone can go there. We've had millions of people go there, download the tracks, and just use ecomeditation. So, um, so you want to find some way of of of, of calming yourself. Ecomeditation is really really easy. It's a really good starter method for meditation. And so, um, you want to 
just have some kind of calming practice initially. So start with something simple. Start with something you will do. Don't make a plan to do some elaborate thing like, you know, go off to a retreat and take a year-long course with a master. You probably can't do that initially. And if you just do eco meditation, the study shows that in 28 days, we're measuring brain remodeling. Your anatomy of your brain has begun to change, shutting down the suffering part of the brain, lighting up the compassion part, and it only takes 28 days. So 28 days, 20 minutes a day is not a big commitment, and you kickstart the process. Hopefully, we've got you so hopelessly addicted to feeling good by then, <laughs> you'll keep on going like that woman who was on day 147. Out of 30. And uh, as we approach February now, that's 28 days in the month, and so now is a perfect time to get started. Absolutely. So, you've mentioned the Veteran Stress Project a few times. Was that the first stress project that you conducted, and why did you choose veterans as your focus? One was because when therapists began telling me after they were treating veterans of um, Afghanistan and Iraq around 2005 that these veterans were getting better after just a few sessions of EFT, I didn't believe them. So I got involved in a study, and we did a study, and we discovered that it's true. They were getting better. Vietnam veterans were getting better. We had some World War II veterans who recovered from PTSD after 60 years of, of having it. So um, uh, that that was powerful. And I thought, how, how, can I, how can I make a difference? I mean, I, I'm feeling good. How can we make a difference out there? So we got the veteran stress solution rolling, and then we got to treat veterans free of charge. And now it's been adopted by the VA as well. So it's now in the system as well. You, if you're a veteran, you can go to the VA and ask for EFT, or just go to the veteran stress solution website and get private treatment as well for free. So either or, either one of those you can do. And then once that was rolling, I then said, okay, we figured out based on many randomized controlled trials that we can handle PTSD. What's the next big area of human suffering? And at the time, I, I weighed almost 300 pounds and I'd been on yo-yo diets for, for years. And I thought, for me, it's definitely weight loss. It's definitely uh, my metabolism and, 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 and being fit and thin. And so um, I thought, let's, let's then focus on weight loss. I did a whole series of studies on, on weight loss. So really relevant relevant uh, project. And we did long-term studies. And we found that people not only lose weight after EFT, over the following year, they keep on losing weight. So you want to be applies to relevant things like anxiety, depression, PTSD. And we know that our society, our world can become a huge amount better. A century ago, we were focused on cholera and typhoid and diphtheria and all the, the great pandemic of 1918 influenza. Back then, those were the big issues. Today, our big issues are anxiety, depression, fear, pain, overwhelm, stress. And we have the ability with all of these new therapeutic tools to nail those as certainly as we nailed typhoid and cholera and all those diseases a century ago in public health. So I'm really committed to seeing that happen. And I have to ask, is there another book in the works? <laughs> There's a book on developing those four, those four parts of the brain, literally growing the hardware. I, I'm, I've made the software argument. I've made the meditation argument in my other books. Now I'm making the hardware argument. Grow those four circuits in your brain. And tell us where we can learn more about you, your research, and your books. 
The simplest way is to go to the website Dawson, my name, just my name, D-A-W-S-O-N, gift, G-I-F-T, dot com. Because DawsonGift.com, it's going to get you into all the classes, all of our certified practitioners. We have an app called Stress Solution. We are you to get a download for free of the EFT manual, a free download of a meditation you can listen to. So there are all kinds of uh, ways that that Dawson Gift uh, web address gets you to all the other other good stuff. Dr. Dawson Church, thank you so much for being with us today. Chris, what a joy! It's been fun for me too. Thank you. No, thank you. And be sure to pick up one of Dr. Church's books, The Genie in Your Genes, Mind to Matter, and Bliss Brain, or all three at the bookseller of your choice. I'm Chris Meek. We're out of time. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life.